Hello, this is the joint podcast of the Hungarian Academy of Sciences and Central European University from the studio of Central European University in Budapest. My name is Andrea Pető. I'm a professor of gender studies uh, at Central European University and also the president of the subcommittee of history of the Second World War of the Hungarian Academy of Sciences. And today I have the privilege to talk to Denisa Nestakova, who is a historian who studied history and Slovak language and literature at the Komenius University Bratislava and Jewish civilization at the Hochschule für Jüdische Studien in Heidelberg. Her dissertation is about Jewish-Arab relations during the British mandate for Palestine. Her postdoctoral project is about the labor camp Seret, and this project is um, uh, supported by a postdoctoral grant of the Foundation for the Memory of the Shoah, Paris, France, and um, also by the Institute of Contemporary History uh, Center for Holocaust Studies and the Memorial House of the Wannsee Conference in Berlin. Hi, Denisa. Hello, thank you very much for inviting me. Thank you very much for your time. Why don't we flesh out what Sered is, what is the importance of Sered as the concentration camp during the Second World War. And uh, the whole podcast idea came when we together visited Sered as a part of a conference visit, which was partly financed by the Institute of Contemporary History Center for Holocaust Studies in Munich. So I'm sure that the listeners are interested to know what is the importance of Sered. I would start a little bit about my project. So I will just mention that I'm dealing with this particular camp and a history and the experience of the Jewish female and male prisoners there. I would also like to emphasize that I'm at early stage of my research. And then I believe that there are many um, Slovak scholars who might do bigger justice to the uh, topic, but I would like to be as accurate as possible. And I will try to give you some of my personal opinion towards the creation of the memory and narrative of the camp. So Seret, together with the two other camps, Novaki and Vihne, was uh, among the three main transit, labor and concentration camps in Slovakia. The construction work started under the umbrella of the Slovak Ministry of Interior in September 1941, and it was a result of the Slovak anti-Semitic policies and created unemployed, pauperized Jewish citizens who became so-called burden of the state. The camp was built in an area of the former uh, military storehouses. Sered is approximately 50 kilometers from Bratislava, and unlike the two other camps I mentioned, this was the only camp which was reopened after the Slovak National Uprising in September 1944. And from this moment, the camp went under the German administration, which means it became a part and parcel of a camp system of Nazi Germany. So if I should continue with a little bit of numbers and a history of the camp. So between March and September 1942, during the so-called first phase of the deportation from Slovakia, when altogether approximately 58,000 Jews were deported from Slovakia, three full transports, which had 1,000 people in a one um, on a one train and five smaller transport carrying altogether 4,463 people departed directly from Seret. The original name of the camp also suggests the purpose of the camp. It was called a concentration center for Jews Seret. However, the, there were always uh, two categories of the people concentrated there. 
the first inmates who would be de deported and those who were considered to be forced laborers. After the dep last deportation train from Seret in September 1942, the camp became a labor camp. And until March 44, the camp was guarded by the Halinka guards, later on by Slovak gendarmerie. The camp accommodated approximately 1,000 forced laborers, among them women, men and children of all ages. The camp as a labor camp had several workshops to produce, for example, furniture, hats, bags, toys, and many others. There was also a school and a kindergarten. And a very specific feature, the Jewish hospital, which was originally in Bratislava, was moved to Seret camp. There was also Jewish council in the camp and Jewish police. To major extent, the condition in the camp after the deportation in September 42 improved, but predominantly due to the bribery of the Jewish center. And this was sort of Slovak version of the Judenrat. The members of the Jewish center were bribing, among others, the commander, the chief commander of the camp, Imrich Vashina. However, the inmates still lived under the prison-like regime and many suffered illnesses due to hard work, lack of hygiene, the health problems, not mentioning that they went already through the persecution and many of them lost already family members, friends or lovers. And fast forward now to August 1944, when the Slovak National Uprising started. The camp was dissolved or the gates were open, so many people could run away. Many uh, joined also partisans. However, already in September 1944, members of the SS arrived to Seret and created a panel and detention camp. During the first two weeks of the existence of these camps, approximately 3,000 Jewish prisoners were arrested and kept there. There was no deportation during these first two weeks, but during this time, the most horrific events occurred. The last days of September 1944, the infamous um, Alois Brunner arrived to the camp and organized deportation from Seret. From September 44 until the March 1945, 11 transports with approximately 11,500 people deport were deported from Seret to Auschwitz, Sachsenhausen, Bergen-Belsen and Theresienstadt. During the, this period, also non-Jewish prisoners were kept in Seret. And a rough number, approximately 44 people, were killed directly in the camp. The camp was liberated by the Soviet army in April 1st, 1945. So this is a very rich and heavy history. And I'm sure that the scholars who have been uh, working on the history of the Second World War and the history of the Shoah have been researching um, this topic for a long time. So what kind of scholarly research is available about the history of the camp and how can you characterize this research? You already mentioned that in your previous uh, response. So unfortunately, the works on the camp are almost exclusively written in Slovak. So the general historical knowledge of the camp is somehow limited. Obviously, um, the archives and the access to them until 1989 was some sort of restricted. So it also caused some issues and the hindered research on the Holocaust in Slovakia in general. However, already in 1992, Ivan Kamenets published an important work which mentioned already these labor camps and labor centers in Slovakia. Very important work in 2004 was a fifth volume of the document entitled uh, The Holocaust in Slovakia. Uh, this published 
documents related to the Jewish labor centers and camps in Slovakia. For me, the most important and most significant work on labor camp Sered was published in 2009 by Jan Hlavinka and Eduard Nizhnansky. And these two authors, together with Radoslav Ragat, developed the research further, and they also discussed the last, the final period of the existence of the camp. Also, focusing on deportations from Seret, two authors are necessary to mention, a Slovak historian Katarina Hradska and Israeli historian Gila Fatran. And what are the uh, main points in the in the historiography? Where are the main debates? How can you characterize the different positions of the authors about the Camp Sered? So most importantly, I would say that the research is more developing. So there is no that much discussion or um, disagreements because it's more about bringing new documents and presenting these new documents. What I found a little bit upsetting for my own research, that these researchers are predominantly focusing on the sources of the perpetrators. And then only those uh, scholars who are dealing more with the oral history projects, among them Monika Vrzgulova, for example, are offering us a little glimpse to the experience of the former inmates of a Seret camp. And I would also like to mention um, that the third volume of the Encyclopedia of Camps and Ghettos, published by USHMM, also mentions that it came. It's the first time when it is in a bigger collection, an English collection. So basically, the Seret camp was left out from the uh, historiography of the concentration and labor camps of the of the Shoah. And I was wondering that uh, what is the reason? Only I mean, there are several people who speak Slovak, but uh, so why is this the case that this uh, research had been started so late? It was a relatively small camp. There was not much done before. There was no a special narrative during the, the time of the socialist uh, regime, which was more focused. The main narrative was the Slovak national uprising, but the camps were not that important in the narrative that time. And later on, there was so many things which had to be done in terms of Holocaust historiography that maybe this one was not that interesting or important. You already mentioned that the uh, uh, Seret camp was uh, guarded by the Hlinka guard at, at a certain point, the Slovak gendarmerie. What is the difference between those two uh, groups? Because the listeners might not be familiar with that. So the Hlinka guard was um, sort of a Slovak version of SS, if we want to say so. Um, the, the conditions on the Hlinka guards were way more harsher. And uh, especially when the survivors are speaking about this period, the Jean de Marie time is described as a, some sort of um, um, more bearable conditions were in the camp. The Hlinka guard was um, very much connected to the, the Hlinka party, the ruling party. We both visited the museum recently. And uh, can you explain to the listeners that why is this museum was open now because obviously you know not only the scholarship was missing but this site of where the atrocities were happening was neglected so the site of uh, the concentration camp was owned by the military or still owned by some parts still owned by the military so why this museum is happening now 
So um, I was asking about what was happening, how was this created? So officially the, the initiative came from the Israeli embassy in Slovakia, actually. Then uh, it went more under the official and the state's interest. And it took some time because the discussion started in 2009 and uh, the museum was actually open only in January 2016. So um, it is true that the museum has been established on the side of the authentic place but it's not only the museum of the authentic place so it's not representing only the camp of Sere, but it's commemorating and memorializing all victims of holocaust in slovakia at least that's the goal of the museum why it took that long maybe also because the research haven't been done for at all and maybe it was also very much connected with the first attempt to commemorize somehow so it was really difficult to find uh, the museum when we uh, were together so can you uh, describe this museum to the audience who, who are not that lucky that uh, visiting this museum so how does it look like and what kind of narrative they can expect Particularly the museum, it's not that far away from Bratislava. So it, as I said, it's 50 kilometers. The problem is how to get there if you are traveling by the train or by the bus. Actually, the camp itself, when it was established, it has the direct connection to the rails and it has the very, very prominent and pragmatic location. So that's the reason why also in 44 the SS decided to take over this particular camp. Uh, today, it's among houses. So the houses which we've seen around were not there yet when the camp was established. Uh, the idea of the creation of such a museum actually found many supporters, also among scholars, especially among survivors, Jewish community and public in general, because there was no such a space or place in Slovakia before. So what one must admit that this museum is one of its kind in Slovakia. And especially, I think, for survivors and their families, it has been some sort of justification or at least acknowledgement. So the museum gave itself a massive challenge to tell basically everything. So they are starting with the evolution of anti-Semitism in Slovakia, the Holocaust in Slovakia, presenting the condition in camp and therefore using finally the authentic place. They are also showing all major camps in uh, Europe. And they are also acknowledging those who survive and also the righteous among nations. Additionally, uh, the museum wants to be a memorial to all victims of the Holocaust from Slovakia and to be also education center. But I think creating such a multifunctional institution, many of the advantages of the authentic place have been lost there. I'm also not an expert of memorization or museum exhibition, but from my point of view, the museum is very modern in terms of design is interesting, catchy in terms of colors, documents, etc. But I would say that it's a bit overwhelming due to the massive amount of objects, photographs, documents and different materials, which are very often lacking description. So um, when I'm thinking about the museum and I'm trying to figure out what is the narrative of the museum, to be honest, I'm not very sure. So I'm, I'm actually missing any narrative. 
the more I think about it, the less I can identify any narrative. So this is going to be just my perspective, but I picked up two main things. The first one is that they want to share some knowledge about the Holocaust in general. And second, it seems that there is a tendency towards describing the time period when the Slovaks were in charge. So between 1941, 1944 as um, better or not that bad in comparison to the period of September 1944, March 45 under the German administration. And to be clear, to some extent, it is true. And it is correct to say so, but I'm lacking the explanation why it was so. What was actually happening in the context of the Holocaust in Slovakia or in Europe? And thus, I, I can't really say if it's official tendency to create such narrative or if it's just maybe lack of particular knowledge or some hardship when describing the history of Slovakia and Europe in the World War II. So these are your critical observations about the uh, narrative of the museum. But are there any public debates about this museum? Because as you pointed out, this is the museum in Slovakia, which is covering the history of the Holocaust. Unfortunately, I do believe that there was a lot of happening before the museum was established. But eventually, no relevant scholar was invited to be part of the board, to be content supervisor or advisor at least and therefore the the community of the um, uh, scholars sort of got left out i would say so there was there is no proper uh, public discussion i think the biggest debate if we can call it this way was with the former spokesman of the union of the jewish communities in slovakia who criticized mostly the director of the museum of the jewish culture under which the said museum is I do not consider this as a minor issue, but it's less related to the exhibitions, but more to director himself. So uh, one can follow some online debates on social medias, if we can call it public debates. And these are criticizing some issues relevant, uh, related to the museum, but there is still no major debate within the public space. And um, what I can only say is that... Um, because the museum is the only one in Slovakia of such kind, the general, I would call it non-antisemitic public, appreciates such a thing have, has been created. A non-academic public also does not have that many information to be able to constructively criticize the exhibition or the content of the museum. And uh, it's the first time when the survivors can see something that big and that public created with the support Slovak government happening in Slovakia. So I think also it's very much appreciated. But um, content-wise, yeah, it's I would say it's a little bit um, problematic. A discussion would be very helpful, but nothing like this is so far happening. One of my impressions was that this museum is just full, full of different uh, unconnected uh, objects, photographs, stories, dates. So, and especially the photographs. So I, I was wondering that how do you see in this museum they are using these lots of photographs? I very much agree about the, the feeling of that the museum is stuffed. And um, uh, the photographs for me are extremely interesting historical source, and it's very special one. But there is a lack of explanation why they are there. There is a lack of explanation. What does it mean? What do people see on the photographs? They are missing the one very important part that this 
pictures were usually staged and they were taken for propaganda purposes. If this is not mentioning there, seeing this without any context, with any explanation, one can just ask, was it that bad actually? Because what we've seen was actually not nothing like we can imagine when talking about labor or concentration camp. Yeah, that's why this Seret camp is so interesting because it's an atypical concentration and labor camp. Probably that m- might have been one of the reasons why uh, historiography picked up uh, so late this space and the events around it. And as you mentioned, this space is also an, an educational site. And uh, when we had the guided tour, the guide uh, taking the pride of uh, having 15,000 secondary school students visiting this site only uh, during half a year in 2018. So how can you characterize the educational philosophy of this site? So uh, first of all, I haven't gone through the educational program. If it is something how similar to what we experienced, it could be a little bit uh, difficult for the students, maybe. So um, from my perspective, because they were showing us the part of the testimony as a short documentary movie. So from my perspective, working with the testimonies to short to show such a short movie cut out from the original interview with no previous explanation or further discussion is very problematic. But maybe during the educational program, the students have more time and can actually receive some sort of context. Maybe they have a more time for discussion and maybe also more time for digesting what have they seen and what they've learned. But I'm not sure how this works. I'm not sure what educational methods they are using at all. I would say there is a way more bigger focus on emotion than actual historical facts. I would say there might have been some misinterpretation. And this combination, the emphasis on emotions and confused historical evidences can be very dangerous in my point of view. On the other hand, the museum is providing the meetings with the survivors. And I think that one for students or for people who can join in is very important. Yeah, so this uh, particular museum I would say fits into this new paradigm of Holocaust memorialization, which is focusing on emotions instead of facts, where there are massive amount of uncontextualized um, objects and photographs, and uh, it focuses on the masses instead of the personalities and uh, on German perpetrators instead of the local ones. So how would you characterize this museum? Is my analysis correct that this here we actually uh, experience a new paradigm of Holocaust memorialization? because it's really very different than the previous Holocaust museums which I have visited or I had the knowledge of. Well, it's um, I have seen similar museums, I would say. Um, I have seen museums which were very different. Um, in the case of the Holocaust Museum in Serre, to be honest, I'm still not certain about what nar- narrative the museum is trying to create. So it's difficult to reply. I can just give you my impression. So when it comes to especially uh, to the um, fact that uh, they are focusing more of this emotional part, I agree and I disagree because if you're walking there and you're a normal visitor, you don't have the, the guide, it is not necessarily an emotional walk. But if you are a part of the guided tour, I would say 
the focus on the emotion is way bigger than anything else. So say it could, but don't necessarily need to fit into this paradigm. But on the other hand, what I can see in the whole narrative and the content of the museum is that they are focusing predominantly on the testimonies and the knowledge from testimonies. And I am the one who is working with testimonies. So I do appreciate it on one hand, but I'm trying when I'm working with testimonies, I'm trying to put in a perspective the the testimonies from the same person, if there are many of them, or different people who were at the same time at the same place, and combination with the official documents of perpetrators, victims, and witnesses. And I'm lacking in, in the museum. It sometimes feels that the museum used one or two testimonies to create a whole narrative, and they are choosing what fits into what they believe the concentration and the labor camp actually was. And in my point of view, it could be quite dangerous because if you're putting this into perspective of the official documents, it just doesn't fit. I'm more focusing on the testimonies, for example. And uh, when the director of the museum is uh, speaking about some part of the, or some events, historical events, uh, which happened in the camp, he tries to mention some interesting and um, somehow almost bombastic facts from the history, which are sometimes correctish. But uh, if you start to dig in and you are looking in the more documents, even more testimonies who are speaking about the same event, it just doesn't fit there. So, for example, the how said was dissolved or the gates were open in uh, 1944, in the August 1944, it just... What is presented there is not necessarily the actual fact which happened. And there are documents which are available. So um, I'm asking myself if it's more lack of knowledge or more this is how we want to have it. Okay, so can you give the uh, concrete example of, uh, you know, what what is uh, the way how they are presenting this opening of the gates and what did you find in the in the sources? Particularly about the opening the gate is that one of the former inmates went with a gun towards the guards saying, if you are not opening the gate, we are opening it ourselves, which means it was sort of threatening and it's more, and then the gates were open. This is more, I would say, heroic story. It's very adventurous story. In the end, what the documents are showing and more uh, testimonies are saying is that after the, the Jewish consul there sat together with the guards and they were talking to each other and they were, the guards even gave all the guns to the Jewish consul there and the guards then left. The question was then if the army is going to protect the camp or not. If the army would protect the camp together with the with the Jews in camps, the Jews will stay there and they will fight for it. But because the army didn't join, the Jewish prisoners, the former Jewish prisoners decided to leave the camp if possible and some of them stay there. I think that's a very interesting example of uh, describing the two different narratives. So when I took the tour in Seret, the guide had a very specific uh, narrative, which was uh, focusing on emotions. But if I would not have been so lucky, then there were this immense amount of objects around, which without any 
previous contextual knowledge and I don't consider myself an ordinary kind of visitor would have been difficult to understand and to contextualize. So that shows that this is not really an innocent uh, story because uh, the guide has really a crucial role in uh, creating the narrative and reading the narrative into the exhibition. Are you agreeing with this? I think particularly in this museum, because for me who has some knowledge, for you who has some knowledge, the exhibition is very inconsistent. It's just, as you said, it's packed that it's difficult to follow. It doesn't, there are even chronologically, it doesn't fit to knowledge I have and so on. But for people who have no knowledge whatsoever, it's easy to follow because they're following the guide and they are listening what the guide is saying. So I totally agree. The guide in this particular museum has a massive role. So uh, finishing this podcast, can you tell something about your own research? So where you think your work will inform or will contribute to a better and deeper understanding of the experiences of the inmates in Syria and what can we learn from that? First of all, I'm very sure that any of my research would be somehow contributing on the exhibitions of the museum. I really hope that I, w- I can do a bigger justice to actually history and actual historical facts by using the testimonies, because I'm interested in the actual experience of the Jewish woman and Jewish men in the camp. But um, I am a historian, so I'm trying to get as many documents as possible to compare everything and to be sure that my historical facts are correct. And um, the difference between what have been done and what I'm doing is really the focus on the uh, on the documents uh, issued or created by the people who were there imprisoned. And in context of not only Slovak historiography, I really hope that it can show also these unusual camps, which were part of the, um, the machinery of the Holocaust, but were quite different from what we are having in our mind as an image of the concentration or labor camp. Thank you very much, Denisa Nestakova, who is uh, researching the Sered concentration camp with the postdoctoral grant of the Foundation of for the Memory of the Shoah, Paris, France. My name is Andrea Petter. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast of the Subcommittee of History of the Second World War of the Hungarian Academy of Sciences from CEU Studio. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you very much.